While it wasn't disrespectful of Jesus to call his mother woman, as it was in the first century, the custom, uh, much like calling a woman ma'am, the whole discourse between Jesus and his mother is a bit awkward. It's a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, it's Jesus' mother who sees the problem. She's the one who recognizes that they're out of wine. And it seems perhaps a little inappropriate, maybe, to Protestant ears, for it to be her who, who points out the need to him. We're accustomed to thinking that Jesus is the one who always sees the need. And in this case, it was his mother. And it doesn't seem to be, um, well, it's a little bit of a, of a rough conversation that goes on here. We're, we're used to enigmatic phrases from Jesus. We're used to him saying things that seem strange to our ears, difficult to understand. What we're not used to, though, are the, um, the phrases that we get in this case. Uh, what concern is that to us? What do we have to do with that? Why is that, a, why is that our problem? We're not used to Jesus seeming cold towards his friends. I think I was in a freshman in college, the first time that I had ever read or heard something that was really, um, oh, an attack on Jesus' character in person. I, I had perhaps heard it other times, but this is the first time it ever stuck in my mind. I read Bertrand Russell's um, essay, Why I'm Not a Christian. And I couldn't believe that he would take such a, a um, oh, a blasphemous, as it seemed to me, stance against Jesus, attacking the character of Jesus. You know, I thought everybody liked Jesus. I mean, what's not to like? Even atheists got to like Jesus. I mean, he, he, he performs miracles for free. He goes around talking about love and generosity and kindness What's not to like? Even the Muslims like Jesus. I mean, they don't think that the Jesus, you know, that we view, but, but they have a, a, a really positive appreciation for the person of Jesus. John's gospel starts off in a way we really don't expect. It's a bit awkward. It's a bit slow. Uh, it begins with this abrupt conversation between Jesus and his mother. And it's at a wedding. You know, every time I do a wedding... It begins with the same way, you know, this uh, prayer book, uh, uh, introduction. Dearly beloved, we're gathered together in the sight of God in the presence of these witnesses. Join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. It's a great line, isn't it? And, and then after that, it, it says something like the, the, the introduction goes, um, marriage is an honorable state instituted by God and humanity's in, uh, innocence and adorned by Jesus' presence and first miracle performed at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. But never do I say after that, and by the way, it was a miracle reluctantly performed only because his mother told him to do so. Uh, I never say that. I, I never, in fact, the people would look at me rather strange, wouldn't they? And that's the difficulty with this passage. There's the rub, isn't it? Is this really an unenthusiastic miracle? All right, mother, we'll do it. I'll, I'll perform this. Unready to help his friends only does so because of his obligations as a son? Uh, of course, one of the issues is the running out of wine, isn't it? And we should, we should address that just a little bit. Uh, in the ancient world, a, a wedding celebration didn't just last for a long night. I don't know, maybe many of you go to weddings and when you do, you think, I wonder how long the party's going to last. And maybe it'll last till 10 or 11 or even midnight. No, not here. Seven days is the length of a, of a wedding celebration. A good long week of, of, of celebrating. I want to get invited to that wedding, don't you? And so they're partying for seven days, and about the halfway point, or three days into it, they've run out of wine. 
Well, this is a problem on a number of levels, but I don't know about you. I could imagine if it were my wedding, I would say to my friends, all right, you bunch of knuckleheads. You know, I bought enough wine for seven days and you've drunk it all up in three. You know, it's time to head on out down to Trader Joe's and let's pick up some more. And don't get any of that stuff in a box either, you know. But I want a good label. As you come back here with, well, he couldn't do that, could they? I mean, it's not just that easy to go out and, and find something else. You can't just blame it on your friends. Even in 21st century Western sensibilities about hospitality. Now, we know how to welcome people, don't we? We're really good at welcoming. But we want our guests to make sure that they keep their, their place. You know, if, if you have a party and you invite me, and that would be nice, by the way, if you had a party invited me, but if you had a party invited me, I would come over and, and we would have a good time and, and perhaps you'd put out some food and drink. You wouldn't expect me to go rummaging through your cabinets, though, would you? I mean, the, this, is, this is my space. I've invited you over as a guest. Make sure you stay in your place as a guest. But in the ancient world, not so much. A host invites someone as a guest. That host has the expectation of providing for these guests. You've invited somebody for a seven-day party, and you've run out of, of uh, supplies three days into it. It's a real problem for the host. Expectations are not being met. And it's more than just a little embarrassment. It's a serious breach of social etiquette. But it gets worse. <laughs> There's the issue of the wine itself. For, for ancient Israelites, this was a, a part of the blessing of God. The celebration and drinking of wine at their, at their feasts and festivals was a part of recognizing that God was present in their midst. Wine was a, a, a source of, of joy. In fact, there's one rabbi who says, without wine there is no joy. I think I would like to be friends with this guy. And he says, you know, th this, is, this is part of the celebration. You couldn't just substitute another drink. There, there weren't suitable substitutes to have. And so it's not just about a social disaster. It's a religious one as well. Isaiah 25 looks forward to a time when God reconciles the world to himself, when he makes Israel once again the center of the, of the world, where, where Israel becomes the, the hope of the world. And he says, on this day, it's going to be a great day of feasting. There'll be finest meats and the best wines. And so a sense of losing the wine in the midway point of this celebration, it, it, it's a social disaster, but it's also a religious one. It, it almost says that this marriage might be doomed. And so the mother of Jesus steps in. I notice that she sees that there's no wine. There's no mention that the bridegroom ever knows the fact, does he? No, no, he doesn't know that they're almost out of wine, but she does. Perhaps she's helping. And so she says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And the whole conversation goes on. And so Jesus seems reluctant. And you're about to hammer me, aren't you? You're about to say, hey, read the text, preacher. I mean, he tells her why he's not ready to do it. My hour has not yet come. It's not time to do this sort of thing. It's about doing a miracle in public. And if he does this, oh my goodness, there's no turning back, is there? Especially among the Merlot crowd. You know, there's no turning back and saying, we're going to undo this. Once you turn water into wine, oh my the cat's out of the bag. We're not going to go back and undo this. It looks like, 
it looks like the immediate needs of the t- people take precedent on the Messianic schedule. It looks like that the needs of this couple, the need of this couple suddenly rises up and takes precedent on the Messianic calendar. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, and yet he does this miracle. A lot of us recognize our neediness. We recognize that we are not complete. We know that, um, we know what it feels like to have pressure on us, like this bridegroom would have had, like the stewards who are taking care of the celebration had. We know what it's like to have fears and doubts. We watch the news, and if you watch the news even for just a moment, you know the sky really is falling in, right? If it's politics or finance or, or public safety or the Browns ever having a chance of winning the Super Bowl, they might be right about that last one. There's always this problem, isn't there? There's always this pressure that things are never going to be right. We're a fearful and needy lot. We know that we're inadequate of ourselves, and all the pressures of life, be they just little ones, like we're about to run out of wine, becomes a big deal. And when we look at problems like what happened in Haiti, and we think to ourselves, my little problems, they seem so small in comparison. And how could God ever be concerned about my little problems when there are so many big problems in the world? But yet he does. He does show concern for our little problems. He does enter into our difficulties. Like a, a mother who, who doesn't know how she's going to feed her children. Her difficulty is as big to her as, as somebody else's is in Haiti. Or a father who has to send his daughter to, to school without a coat. His problem is as big to him as other problems are around the world. The couple who's worried about the retirement account, that problem is as big to them as other problems are to other people. A young girl in school having to get up and read in front of her class might be a big problem to her. And it's as big to her as any other problem in the world is to anyone else. And in all of these problems, and in all of these pressures, and in the pressures that you face and the pressures that I face on a daily basis, the gospel says that the Lord enters into those problems and puts them right up at the top of his agenda. That he moves in and says, this is as important to me as it is to you. And so today, if you're one of those people who's running out of wine and you need a miracle, the good news of the gospel is you've come to the right place. You've come to the one who turns water into wine and tears into dancing, and bad news into really good news. Amen.